Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Q&A. I'm Jay Nordlinger. And this podcast is brought to you by Quip, the electric toothbrush. Go to getquip.com slash QA. I'll have more to say about this excellent and snazzy product later in the show. Speaking of excellent and snazzy products, I've got some guests for you today. We're going to do a sports cast focused on the NBA and the Super Bowl. With us are two of our regular gurus, Vivek Dave, the corporate high flyer in Chicago, and David French, the sage of Franklin, Tennessee. And we have a ringer, a guest sage. He is Sopan Deb, a writer for the New York Times. In addition to being a journalist, he's a musician, a stand-up comedian, and other things, including an authority on the NBA, like Vivek and David. I myself am just a wannabe. So, gentlemen, welcome to you all. And I want to ask, Sopan, um, I, I know you went to Boston University, and so you have a close connection with that city. And so they've, they've got this basketball team there. Is it, is it like G League or <laughs> WNBA? Or th- there's they this do. weird floor. They, there's this leprechaun. What's going on? Well, there have been times this season where I they did not look like a real NBA team, but I can assure you there is a real NBA team in Boston, and they're very good, and they are called the Boston Celtics. And so you claim that this is the greatest franchise. Is this in NBA history or in sports history, period? Well, that's mostly me just being a, being a troll, but I do believe the Celtics. <laughs> that I do believe the Celtics are one of the greatest sports franchises in uh, sports history. Yes. Well, that's yeah, of all yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the greatest, that's mostly me just uh, getting a rise out of people. Tell me about you and basketball and, and how it started. Did you yourself play? Uh, well, play is a relative term, right? Play requires a level of talent that I would not uh, ascribe myself. I attempted to, I attempted to very often and I played, you know, I went to courts growing up. My first year following basketball was 1994, 1995. And the Celtics were terrible in those times. My first year following the team was when ML Carr was coaching the team. Oh, and, yeah. uh, 
and I think they won something like 15 games. And uh, one of my favorite players growing up was Antoine Walker, believe it or not. I loved this, you know, 6'8 guy who could move like magic. And, you know, he's he's a Good power legend. forward. And, and you know, he was my favorite player growing up. And he was passionate about being a Celtic, even though the Celtics were terrible. Um, and that was actually a lot of fun. So my, you know, uh, watching the Celtics in those early days, even though they were really bad. Like watching Dino Raja, you know, those early teams, even, even during the Rick Pitino years. I actually enjoyed watching the Celtics, even though the, objectively that was those were one of the darkest, you know, periods for the franchise. But I, I would say, uh, you know, I was born outside of Boston in Lowell, Massachusetts, before moving to New Jersey growing up. And when you're growing up in New Jersey, you're not, uh, you know, I didn't grow up around many Nets fans. You know, Kerry right. Kittle, Kerry Kittles wasn't the most exciting name. Um, I was more excited by Antoine, and so that's how I became a Celtics fan. Hey, Vivek, um, Sopan mentioned ML Carr as the Celtics coach. Didn't he play for us? Didn't he play for the Pistons? Or am I just... He might have. There's a few, right? There's Austin Carr played in the league. Uh, who are, are, Did ML Carr play for the Pistons? I don't remember that. You do you have to remember, David? Me. David, I Frank, do not are you with us, babe? That. I, do, I well, do not remember that. Well, to hell with him, that, then. That's some obscure NBA trivia right there, Jay. David, tell he me about... He definitely played for the Celtics. Yeah, definitely. He was a famous towel waver for the Celtics. Yeah. <laughs> I remember David, that. Tell me about you and the Celtics, uh, David. Are you, are you favorable? Are you hostile? Are you indifferent? What is your relationship with the Celtics? CJ, when you, when you grow up in uh, rural Kentucky, you're very far from any NBA franchise. And so in the <laughs> 1980s, you had you had a choice. Your choice was Celtics or your choice was Lakers. Oh, um, yeah. There, there yeah. was no other NBA. It was Celtics or it was Lakers. And my family came down on the Lakers side of that divide. Uh, I was all about showtime. I've always enjoyed the style of basketball where the ball moves quickly, where there's a good perimeter game, where there's a, fa- a, a fast break game. Of course, I'm going to reveal myself to be a total hypocrite when we talk about my grit and grind Grizzlies. But for (laughs) growing up, that's the kind of basketball I loved. And I always looked at the Celtics, frankly, as playing thug ball and nothing, nothing personified that more than one of the worst basketball atrocities ever seen on hardwood, which was the clotheslining of Kurt Rambis by the evil Kevin McHale. So (laughs) to me, that's put in place forever. You know, who was wearing the white hat and who, who was wearing the black hat? So, Vivek, before we let Sopan respond and defend the Celtics and all, mm. I realize that as Pistons, you know, you and I, our guys weren't exactly choir boys. They were called the bad boys for a reason. It was the style but, of play of the era. It, it, was, it was, they were adapting. But, but no, I, I remember I agree how with... we couldn't, st- Bird trash talked, remember that? And Danny Ainge yeah. was such a whiner. And we, and, and yeah. uh, Robert Parrish uh, took a just Colcock Bill Lambier. Right, and didn't even right. get didn't even get kicked out of the game. Right, he didn't even get a technical foul. <laughs> Lambier went down, got knocked out cold, and then when he came to, he goes, "Did they kick him out of the game?" And they were like, "No." He was like, "Okay, I guess we're going to keep playing." No, I, can, can, can you can you and I admit as Pistons that Bill Lambier was probably more sinning than sinned against, though? No, no, he was the perfect. Oh man, player. what he a was, homer uh, he is! So he bad. was the original original stretch four. <laughs> yeah, you'd leave in a stretcher if you played with them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this. My first game ever was uh, Piston Celtics 88 at the Silverdome Conference Finals. I was about six years old. 
Uh, there was a sign hanging from the Raptors, a very uh, disparaging sign about Danny Ainge. Had to ask my dad what it meant. He explained it to me. Took me about another 10 years to understand exactly what it meant when he said that. Uh, I can't say it in 2018, but it was, it was pretty bad, the feud between uh, or 2019, the feud between the Pistons and the Celtics. So I'm a little skewed in my, in my memory of the Celtics. I think Larry Bird gave an interview, I think in maybe three, four years ago, maybe to Bill Simmons. And he said, he's still to, to this day, he doesn't like Bill Lambeer. Now, I'm, I, yeah. I, I, I'm almost positive that it was Bird who said that to this day. And I think, you know, because they're, they're, you know, once you leave the game, right, and you realize it's just a game and it's just a sport, you, in theory, could leave some of these off-court, excuse me, on-court beefs behind. But I, I think with those guys, um, uh, with the Pistons, they actually, these teams actually didn't like each other. Whereas with Magic and Larry, there is genuine affection for them, uh, between them off the court and it shows. Yes. Yeah, everything with the Pistons was very personal. It was like they were not in the club of the Celtics and Lakers, so they had to kind of claw their way in. There was the the Rodman comment about Larry Bird, the famous one that yeah, got him sir. into trouble, and uh, so yeah, it was it was very personal between between uh, the Pistons and, and all those teams in that area. And, uh, in the recent book that Jackie McMullen wrote about uh, Bird and Magic, I believe it's called "When They Own the Game" or something like that. Um, you know, Magic did not have nice things to say about Isaiah uh, in that in in that book, and then which led to the uh, big reconciling. I think it was last year where NBA TV hosted that interview between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think um, uh, I, I'm I'm I maybe forgetting or not recalling this correctly, but Magic had or Magic had claimed in the book that Isaiah was spreading some rumors about him uh, and sure. AIDS and whatnot. I, I don't remember the specifics, but it caused a lot of I think hurt feelings that. Uh, were remedied, you know, last year with the NBA TV interview. Yeah, yeah. they didn't talk for over over twenty years or something right. like that, and they used to right. kiss each other before the games. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the and, game and then the game. of course, then of course, there's the uh, uh, possibly apocryphal Michael Jordan keeping Isaiah off the dream team. Mm-hmm. Right. Ooh, right. ooh, that was a as Nixon used to say, "Let's flick the scab off that wound." Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was an atrocity, right? Isaiah was one of the top ten players of the uh, of that era, and he was. And John Stockton got picked over him in that. In and, that well, and uh, Bird got ba- and Bird could barely get up off the floor at that point. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Bird for, and Magic. Forget Stockton. I mean, Bird could barely. I mean, he was. He didn't even in that famous scrimmage was that Montenegro uh, with uh, where all the Dream Teamers faced off against each other. Yeah, Monte Monte Carlo. Oh, no, no, no. That was actually in uh, La Jolla. They were when they're playing the college guys. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the famous scrimmage uh, where the dream teamers uh, split up into teams of five. Oh, yeah, yeah. Michael versus Magic. Yeah, right. And uh, in that game, Bird didn't even I don't think Bird played because his back yeah, was on the ground. And so Isaiah, Isaiah didn't make the team, but Bird did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, justice. yeah no that's just loss. justice. And, Damn. Yeah, it was, uh, and well, they, they killed the Pistons for walking off for being the bad sports when they lost to the Bulls. Right. And that's why, you know, Jordan didn't like Isaiah and among other things. Right. But then if you watch the 88 finals, the Celtics were long gone with a minute left. They walked off the floor. They were like, all right, we're done. We'll see you later. But no one ever wrote anything negatively about the Celtics. All right. Larry Bird was, uh, always, uh, wrote positively about, so it was, it was a very different standard, I think. I always found that I always found that criticism weird when a team get criticized for walking off the floor without shaking hands. Like you just lost a championship, or you just lost an yeah. important game. Why would you? 
why should you put up with this farce pretending to be happy for the other team? Right. Like why? Why her team? I don't know why t- professional Let's athletes. Go back are to the old days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think they took it from hockey or something, right? That 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 handshake yeah, they yeah, needed in all right. sports or something. I don't know. Right. Uh, I think the hockey players need to do it for some kind of comedy afterward. Um, <laughs> David, um, David French, uh, would you like to start us off on all this recent trade business, th- th- these flurries, what's been going on? Uh, give us some important things to know, if you would. You know, I, I think I find the Kristaps Porzingis trade to be absolutely fascinating. Um, I, I, I will confess, I saw it come across. So I got my news alert. I saw it. I had a hard time believing it. And my very first thought was, how long until Bill Simmons has an emergency podcast about it? on the <laughs> Right. And. And I listened to that emergency podcast with some of his Knicks fans on this on the Ringer staff, and I, I found myself just agreeing with if I'm putting on a Knicks hat, agreeing with this gloom and doom assessment that's essentially they traded a young star. Yes, he has some questions about his leg, but they traded a guy who is when he's healthy as a top twenty player at the very beginning of his career, that when you boil it all down, it's, it's essentially for Dennis Smith Jr. and to clear cap space for some unknown cough, Kevin Durant, cough, Kyrie Irving, potential free agents in the summer. And, and what a colossal gamble. And by the way, if Durant and Irving end up in the Knicks, uh, doesn't that conclusively, pro- conclusively prove once and for all that there is a tampering epidemic because who makes this gamble without a wink or a nod or a quiet handshake that they're going to have uh, that they're going to have one of these superstars because you don't make this gamble because you don't because you think that the town isn't big enough for Chris Stapps, Porzingis and the 14 percent chance at Zion Williamson. I mean, it, it w- it's one of the more epic puzzling big gamble trades that I can remember. And if I'm Mark Cuban, I am loving life right now. You've got two of the the brightest young stars in the NBA right there on your roster, a remarkably fast rebuild for a Mavericks franchise. So that, that was a, that was a jaw dropping deal to me. Sopan, what do you think? You know, I cannot argue with much of that. It was certainly jaw dropping. Um, I will say that the NBA has become a league of you need to swing. Either you're swinging for the fences or you're going nowhere. And this was a deal where the Knicks swung for the fences. Uh, they haven't completed their swing, right, because they freed up, I think, it's something like $25 million in cash space. Uh, they've now cleared up spaces for two max free agents. Um, so either they get those two max free agents or this deal was terrible. Um, it's, a, it's a huge gamble. And the thing is, this is one of those deals – like with many deals of big stars where we just – the initial return looks really small, but we just don't know what the final effects of this deal are going to be. There's some precedent for a deal like this, um, and and the, one of them was the Celtics-Nets deal a couple years ago where uh, Pierce and Garnett are traded to the Nets for – essentially for ca- um, cap – cap clearing and draft picks. Those draft picks have essentially built, rebuilt the Celtics. Now it's a little different in that, uh, KG and uh, Paul Pierce are coming out of their primes, but it's, it's, um, and it worked out for the Celtics, but those deals are really, really very iffy. 
another thing we're seeing recently is that a lot of these deals for stars and Porzingis isn't a star star yet, right? He's only played, you know, he hasn't played that many games. Yeah, that's but right. the the later the later returns end up looking a little better. Uh, Paul George, I mean, initially Indiana was roasted for what they got back for um, uh, Paul George, and then you know now that deal looks very good with uh, Victor Oladipo. Of course, he just got, suffered a bad injury. But yeah. um, uh, another example is uh, Mark. Uh, you know how Paul Pal Gasol ended up on the Lakers. Initially, you might remember that Pal Gasol gets straight to the Lakers and pop. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Pitch was saying you know, that there should be a board that approves trades to stop lopsided trades like this one. Well, I'll tell you what. Memphis got Marcus Gasol out of that deal. And they they are probably happy with that deal in hindsight. Uh, I'm sure da- I'm sure David would have more to say about this than I would. But you know, there's some precedence in that in these star when these stars get traded, that the deal should be judged way down the line and not quite right away. Viv, what what are your thoughts? I, I agree, but I, I think everyone's in on it except for the Knicks. Right. So I think there's definitely a nod and wink show going on. I'm convinced all these guys know where they're going to go. They've all talked about it. Durant and Kyrie seem to, you know, be on the same page. They always talk fawningly of each other, how they, they love the game. And, you know, they're really not there for all the, the attention or all the distractions. They just want to work on their craft. So they're clearly eyeing a plan to probably play together at some point. Uh, but I think, you know, this has happened in the past. I think the Knicks thought they were going to get LeBron and Wade in, in 2010 or 2011 or whatever, and they cleared a bunch of space, and they ended up with Amari Stoudemire and someone else. So, uh, yeah, I, I was shocked. You don't give up your best young player uh, for cap space unless you really, really know what's going on. But the Knicks have never proven to know what's going on, so I would have zero faith uh, if I was a Knicks fan. And, yeah, and to David's point, right, you just lucked in. Dallas just lucked into – 10 to 12 years. Basically it's, it's like when Nash and Nowitzki were both youngsters on the same team, right? They're going to get 10 years of that. Uh, and they're right back in the, in the thick of it. So, uh, yeah, no faith if I was a Knicks fan in, in what just happened. Yeah. And the danger here, right. And the danger for the Knicks is let's, let's, let's play this out to its logical conclusion, right? Let's assume that 
for the sake of conversation, Kyrie was true to his word when he told season ticket holders that he was re-signing unprompted. And let's say that Kevin Durant doesn't sign with the Knicks because he he wants to go to a team that maybe has more pieces in place. What the danger is for the Knicks is that they end up with something like Kemba Walker and DeMarcus Cousins. <laughs> Right. right. And not because they're bad players, but because they are two players that carry you to a sixth seed. They carry you to a worst case scenario for an NBA franchise, which is average to barely good. A team that does maybe gets you out of a first round, but nothing more than that. And that 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 keeps you in a in a, a bad place for five to it's ten years. The worst years. place to be. Right. And that's the danger, I think, for that the Knicks might find themselves in. But we just don't know. We won't know for another ten months or so. The only saving grace, though, I'm hoping that this is causing a lot of fracture in the Celtics locker room, right? So hopefully, you know, they're all thinking <laughs> Kyrie's gone or they're all waiting to see who's going to get traded for Anthony Davis in the offseason. Uh, so that's the only hope I have is that it's just splintering the locker room. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, so, Pan, I think you spoke it into existence. It's going to be Kimba and Boogie. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> that is that's the Knicks. I could hardly think of anything more Knicks than that. Right, Kimba and Boogie when they thought it was going to be Kyrie and Kevin Durant. That well, that is yeah. something that has to happen. Now, if they get Zion, you know, I could see you know there is a legitimate argument to be made that the Knicks are the best destination for Anthony Davis. We just don't know. We don't. I mean, it requires a lot of things to fall into place. One of them is that the Knicks get the number one pick. Guys, um. Give me a word about the Anthony Davis, uh, the brow. David, uh, what do you make of all that? Where will he go? Is it kind of unsporting to declare, hey, I don't want to play for this team anymore. I'm sick of you all. Um, I, I want to go where the lights are brighter. Well, that's going to segue into a, a bigger philosophical discussion about the NBA. But but let me just say this for the brow. I love the brow. As a Kentucky boy, he's the he's the architect of our most recent championship. Um, and look, you know, you, you get one shot at a NBA prime. I mean, that's a self-evidently true and ridiculously obvious argument. And if you're going to be spending, if you're, if you're going to be spending that NBA prime in a fran in a franchise that quite frankly, it's not a basketball city. It's got one of the worst arenas in the league. Um, <laughs> you're far from the bright lights. You are you're not even in a in a Russell Westbrook kind of mid market sort of uh, situation, small market situation. Uh, you don't have a contending cha a championship anywhere on the horizon, and you want to be considered one of the game's greats. I think absolutely yeah. you do this. I mean, absolutely. And the other thing I, I is always sort of think of I always think of sorry I always think of Rod Carew on the Twins, uh, and he later did did go on to greater glory. I think with the Angels. But go ahead, David. But, you know, we also have sort of this weird view about these players where we view their careers in a way that's very fundamentally different from the way we view our own careers. Like nobody would say, you know, hey, David, you've been working at one place for five or six years. Um, there's some better offers out there, but you just you just shouldn't take them. You shouldn't take the better career option. You really shouldn't do that because you just need to stay where you, that's not the way we run our lives. That's not the way anyone runs our careers. Mm -hmm. But we have this odd thing that we put on these pro players that we say, don't treat your career in the way I do mine. You have to show an extraordinary, like, extraordinary level of loyalty to a current employer, almost no matter your feelings about your future there. 
But, you know, look, this is also, and I think Anthony Davis knows this, and the smarter players absolutely know this, this is a player-driven league. It is less and less a team-driven league. It is a player-driven league. And if you want to be one of the players that is driving the league, you have to achieve a level of greatness on the biggest possible stage. And you're just not going to do that with the Pelicans. Uh, There's no, that's not on the horizon at all for him. So I completely agree with his decision. I think it's the right decision for him. Um, And hey, I mean, if you look at the bright side, if there's some way could drive the Pelicans out of New Orleans and put basketball back in Seattle where it belongs, then it's a win-win. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am Jay Nordlinger. We're doing Q&A here, really a sports cast today. Our guests are regular gurus, David French and Vivek Dave, and our special guest, special guru, Sopan Deb, back after this word from our sponsor, Quip. Well, some people like to make New Year's resolutions. How about you? Maybe brush more? Brush better? I'm talking teeth, and I'm talking Quip, the electric toothbrush, whose features are like a built-in support system for better brushing. Why should you use Quip? Let me count a few of the ways. Sensitive sonic vibrations, or an effective clean that's gentle on your gums. Some people brush too hard, and some electric toothbrushes are too abrasive. A built-in two-minute timer which pulses every 30 seconds to remind you to switch sides and help you clean your whole mouth more evenly. A multi-use cover, which works as a stand, mounts to mirrors, and slides over your bristles to pack and protect your quip on the go. Plus, there are no wires or clunky charger, and this baby runs for three months on a single charge. Brush heads are delivered automatically on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. You don't want to use worn-out bristles, which are ineffective. Quip is one of the very first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association. They're backed by over 25,000 dental professionals, and they have thousands of verified five-star reviews. Brushing is something you do every day, twice, three times. It need not be completely humdrum and chore-like. Quip is not only sensible, it's fun and good-looking. Over a million happy mouths can attest to this. Here's a web address. Getquip.com slash QA. I'll be saying it again. Quip starts at just $25.00. And you can get your first refill pack for free by going to that address. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Q-A. Getquip dot com slash Q-A. So, Happy New Year and Happy Brushing. Welcome back, everyone, to this sportscast. I'm Jay Nordlinger. We're talking to Sopan Deb. The New York Times, David French of National Review, Vivek Dave, I call him the corporate high flyer in Chicago. But he and I are fellow Michiganders, fellow Pistons, so to speak. I want to ask you all, starting with Vivek, please, uh, about the all-star game in the NBA. 
I love the NBA, as, as we all do here on this podcast. And I tuned in, I think, a couple of years ago. And, you know, I think it was the most disappointing game of the whole year. I just thought it was almost, not just boring, but almost insultingly so. You know, I, I, I would rather watch a, a relatively meaningless regular season game. Am I wrong about the All-Star game, Vivek? Am I too down on it? Not only did no, I dislike I mean, the game, I really disliked all the, what would you call it, accoutrement. I, I, I disliked all the stuff, all the showbiz surrounding it. Frankly, I thought it was too Vegasy and gross. Yeah, I want to love the All-Star game. Uh, it does get interesting in the last two minutes. Uh, last year, I think the game was on the line, and uh, the West, or Curry's team, set up a, a game-winning shot, and then the, LeBron's team took it really serious. They didn't even let him get a shot off. I think they triple-teamed him in the corner and blocked his shot out of bounds. You could tell there was something on the line at the very end, but at least this year, uh, the draft. The draft is being televised on Thursday, which I'm really excited about. I'm more excited about than the game, because are you, are you familiar with how they're doing the, the drafting this year? They have two captains, so uh, LeBron is the captain for one team, and then uh, Giannis for, for the other team. I think LeBron has the first pick. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting from the player's standpoint to see who they go with first or just even down the line. I'm curious to see where a guy like James Harden goes in a player's draft. Right. Well, because, Aviv, before I turn to Sopan, um, j- just tell us, will LeBron himself be playing? Will he be well enough to play? Uh yeah, he came back, right? I think he'll I think he'll give it a go. Yeah, so he he played last week. So I would assume he would at least uh he'd be going half speed. I haven't heard anything anything to the contrary. Uh, Sopan, what do you make of the All-Star game? Uh, usually kind of a snooze. Last year's was really good, actually. Uh, last year, now with the with the way they, uh, with the players drafting, they actually, last year was some good basketball. Actually, to me, the most entertaining entertaining part of All-Star Weekend is the slam dunk contest. And I actually, and a lot of fans really like to kind of make fun of it. And I actually think the slam dunk contest for the last several years has been very, very good. You had a lot of creative dunkers. Uh, they, you know, they've narrowed, brought props into it. You have a lot of personalities in the, a lot more personalities in the NBA that uh, more so than 10 years ago, I would say. Um, So to me, the dunk contest is the best part about it. The game, I could take it or leave it. Will I watch it? Probably because I'm obsessed with this stuff. Um, And especially now, there's going to be a lot of interesting dynamics at play, right? Okay, will LeBron play? We don't know. But will Anthony Davis play? Because the Pelicans are pretty much have already held him out of returning to the Pelicans. So, like, what is is Anthony Davis going to be there? Um, Is LeBron going to draft him? (laughs) What 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 team is he on, so to speak? Right. right? (laughs) Will will you know? Will LeBron be uh, you know tampering with him there? Will Kyrie have some conversations with him there? I'm sure he will. But those. You know, will uh, Al? You know, I, I'm just trying to think of you know, will will people be sending extra picks for Anthony Davis to recruit him to their team? Who knows, right? <laughs> but those kind of interpersonal such an interesting sport to watch and you know we have these discussions about the um, you know NBA All Star Game. When was the last time you watched the Pro Bowl? Right. Or when was the last time you had a conversation even about the MLB All-Star game? Who, you know, sure, uh, sure. the NBA still is the most talked about All-Star game, I think, out of any of the sports. David French. To me, the NBA All-Star weekend boils down to the three point shooting contest and the dunk competition. I mean, that's uh-huh. that's what I'm watching. I am absolutely mesmerized by the three point competition. I love it. And I think the thing I like about it is. You know, the dunk competition now seems to be reserved for sort of the athletic rising young stars. 
uh, whereas where all you know all of the really big names sit courtside and watch it. Uh, but it it seems as if the three point competition is still one where the the biggest names want to win that. That's mm-hmm. that's a point of pride for the biggest for the biggest people in the sport. And so that's why it's a lot of fun. I love the the pickup, the you know the playground pickup nature of the of the team picking. It's just a fun. It's a fun weekend. But I love regular season NBA action so much that I'm just glad when it's over because I I want to get started. But I I do think um, I there there are some moments that are more memorable than others. As I recall, wasn't it two All Star weekends ago that the Woj bomb was dropped in the middle? of the uh, all-star weekend that uh, Boogie Cousins was being traded. Um, and he ah, right. as if he, he even found out about it while being interviewed. Um, it was, hmm. so there's, there's drama. I mean, the NBA leads all major American professional sports teams in public drama. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. And again, I think it's partly because it's such a, player-driven league and the players are out there on social media extremely vocal on social media more so in my impression than other leagues um and the all-star game is kind of a weekend for them to be themselves uh and have fun and it's fun to watch but i'm always ready for the games to start back and there's something to the point about uh sorry go ahead I was going to say, there's there's something going to be extra fun this year. It'll be great to see Dirk uh, Nowitzki and Dwayne Wade there. Since they got <laughs> special advice, no, I mean, are they playing at all star level? No, but it'll be great to see them running back and forth yeah. with you know with the best players in the league. And, and the public drama will be uh, to David's point, right? When when they show the the picking of the teams, I really hope they overhype and and really dramatize the and draw out the last picks because I just want to see the guy. I mean. If you're the last pick in the in the All Star game, you're still an All Star, right? But it's going to be interesting when it gets down to like D'Angelo Russell oh, yeah. and Vucevic yeah. and you know Kyle Lowry and these guys, and they're just sweating up there waiting for <laughs> feelings. Are, yeah, it's like the third grade, isn't it? Well, I, it's going to be mean. I want to ask. Well, um, I, hey, can a, I can I interject sure with the golden idea that will make the live uh, picking perfect? What's it's that? if we also ask Joel Embiid to live tweet the live pick. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Have like one designated tweeter on each team and hope that Draymond <laughs> and Joel Embiid are on opposite sides. Yeah, that's, that's the idea. Perfect. That's the idea. Um, uh, Sopan Deb, I, I have a, a couple of quick questions for you, if I may. Yeah. Um, we've aired this quite a bit on this program, but but David French has, I would call it almost a, a disdain, certainly a dislike for college basketball, and and he's given his grounds, and and they're you know they're they're solid grounds. I, I wonder if you like college ball or whether you're NBA only. Uh, I, 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 the, if you take away. The one, um, the one game elimination in March, we would never talk about college basketball. We don't talk about minor league baseball. We, I mean, I, we talk about college football, but again, it's the same thing because of the, of the upset nature of it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, college basketball is by far a more inferior form of basketball. So do I, I love basketball, but I love seeing it at its highest level of play. So in the case of college basketball, even, you know, the top tier programs have maybe, maybe they will have one truly great NBA level 
player. And then they'll have several, they might have a couple players that'll be rotational players. But for the most part, you don't, the level of talent in college basketball is so far less. So what you're seeing in these games is, you know, you have very little playmaking. It's all, you know, you're, you're kind of in this kind of Duke cog or you're in this, you're in this North Carolina cog where, you know, you're running pick and rolls and you're running, you're shooting open jumpers. And I'm not saying there's no skill involved in that. I'm saying it's far less skill. Like why watch college basketball when you could watch, uh, you know, the people doing the best at what they can do. It's the difference between watching, you know, community theater and Broadway. Right. And, and with, that doesn't mean community theater doesn't have its, you know, doesn't have its positives, but give me Broadway any day of the week. Well, speaking of showbiz, uh, Sopan, I, I wanted to to draw on your uh, expertise and um, experience as a comedian. Sure. Uh, Charles Barkley, he's one of the funniest, most endearing people in America, isn't he? Do you find him so? Uh, I do, and more especially after that most recent story that I'm sure a lot of uh, all of you guys saw about his friendship with the um, with the with the that dad Chinese American fellow. Yeah, yes, yeah. right. I mean, reading that story, I mean, you just you can't. And that wasn't a story that came from him. He didn't talk about it, right? It's not like he brought it up. That yeah, the was man's family came, did. Yeah. Yes, and and he never like did it for attention. I seeing that kind of you know that kind of stuff is very very endearing. With that being said, you know, was Charles Barkley always the most well behaved player? You know, when he played, of course hmm. not. I actually listen. If I was growing up during Charles Barkley's prime, I probably would be on this podcast yelling about what a bad influence Charles Barkley is and he's forcing a trade and he's causing fights on the court and he's out of shape and this and that. But you know what? I wasn't. And I, I find him to be a very, very entertaining guy and, and I find him to be very endearing. David, do you want to give me a line or two, give us a line or two about the greatness of Sir Charles? I mean, there, the greatness of Sir, Child, Sir Charles cannot be encompassed in a line or two. Look, I agree. I, I, I agree. I was a Charles Barkley admirer all the way back in college. When he played for I Auburn? I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I remember. Oh, when you, so you were in college or when he was in Yeah. When he was in college. I'm sorry. Yes. I remember when, very I remember, well. Sure. I was growing up a Kentucky fan, of course, but my parents graduated from Auburn, so I had a soft spot in my heart oh. for Auburn. I'm a, my birthplace is in Opelika, Alabama, right off of campus. So I had a soft spot for him, and I will never forget standing outside a Rupp Arena on a cold January or February day, waiting and holding up my hand saying, I need tickets, please, to get in to see him play in the oh. absolute rafters of Rupp. It was so memorable. He was a character even then. And the interesting thing about him, even when he was acting out as a player, and I'm not going to endorse everything he did as a player, he always kind of had this wink about him, this kind of twinkle in his eye that he was having fun playing this game. Hmm. Uh, and and the recent story about how he befriended uh, this this guy in a in a hotel bar, kept hmm. up with him for years, and then came and delivered his eulogy at his funeral. The interesting thing about it is it was a cool story, but it just also seemed so very Sir Charles. So unsurprising. Uh, Yeah. Right. It wasn't surprising. It was so unsurprising. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. Well, guys. And and then his his stubborn willingness to double down on all of his verbal gaffes and insulting comments is in this this day and age. uh, 
I don't know if you guys remember his long-running feud with the women of San Antonio. Oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. thing about, that just doesn't about. happen very the, the, much anymore. Those biggins down in San Antonio. Yeah. <laughs> eating, eating churros. Yeah. Right. Viv, I'm going to get to you in a sec. Viv, um, I'd like to transition to the Super Bowl. And I'd like to do it this way. Uh, I forgot about, about it. It was terrible. <laughs> I, well, what what happened? I, I don't remember this. Game. I I thought it was a great game, but um, oh we got to talk about this. I, I just want to in, in, inform the audience that um, Sopan Deb uh, uh, made a documentary about uh, Bill Russell, the Celtic star, and his relations uh, with the city of Boston. And in the run up to the Super Bowl, in which New England participated, uh, there were some articles about Boston sports history. And I'd like to know from Sopan, um, Boston has this reputation as, um, well, certainly an historical reputation, as, as an especially or distinctively racist community, especially where sports are concerned. And I wonder whether this is a, a, a fair rap, a, a, a bad rap, an, an outdated rap, merely historical, or so on. Uh, could you well, just uh, tell us a little bit about this? Yeah. I mean, it certainly was a fair rap. I mean, Bill Russell certainly, I mean, some of the stories uh, surrounding Russell are well publicized. I mean, there was, I mean, he once uh, bought a home and, you know, uh, people in the area smeared feces on the inside and people yelled racist insults at him. So, and, and then after he uh, retired from the game, he didn't return to Boston for several years. Wow. And Russell, Russell in his memoir, yeah, Russell in his memoir, uh, he called Boston a flea market of racism. Um, and, um, so it took a long time before Boston, Bill Russell kind of found each other again. And that's why it took so long for him to get a statue in the city. Not because Boston didn't want to give him one. It's because Russell didn't want to accept one. Um, now has that relationship changed? Well, is Boston still a racist city? Look, like with any city, there are struggles with race. Has it improved? A lot in the last several decades? Absolutely. Um, look, and in terms of black athletes, the Celtics have had several high, you know, prominent, you know, black athletes in the last, you know, several decades who have said they've loved playing in Boston. Paul Pierce being one of them, David Ortiz. Um, you know, so uh, look, do, 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 is racism solved? No, of course not. Is racism what it was when Bill Russell went in, was in his prime? No, absolutely not. Um, so I don't think Boston is, you know, Boston, whatever reputation it has as racist city. Do I think that's accurate today? No, but I also think like any city, there are issues, there are tensions that revolve around race that still exist. Of course. By the way, I mean, by the way, I'm sorry yeah. if I can finish. Uh, I mean, there was a very famous incident last year, if you might remember, uh, on the, the Orioles player, Adam Jones. He came and he said that, um, you know, at Fenway, somebody in the crowd was yelling, uh, racial evidence towards him. And, and so, uh, you know, and that, that was a big headline for a couple of days. Um, but look at the, on the other hand, you know, there have been several, you know, the Celtics in particular, if they signed Al Horford, they've had a lot of black athletes in the last 10 years that have not said anything along the lines of what, you know, Boston has been kind of tagged with, if that makes sense. Yes, well, guys, I get the sense from 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 you that you're you're not so high on the Super Bowl. So I want to ask a couple of questions related <laughs> to the Super Bowl. We could talk Vivek about P, it. Vivek P. Dave. So Tom yeah. Brady, the University of Michigan alumnus, is uh, he the goat? Uh, Jim Harbaugh says he's the greatest football player of all time. Do you endorse uh, this? He's the greatest quarterback of all time. Huh. Uh, I don't know how you do it for 17 years just mentally the way he's done it. Him and Belichick. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll give him. 
I'll give him the GOAT title for sure. I don't know about the greatest football player yet. I think even Bill Belichick will say Lawrence Taylor is the greatest football player of all time. Uh, he coached him on the Giants. But, yeah, Brady for sure. Uh, winning the last Super Bowl. It's just to stay healthy and to do what he's doing for 17 years is unheard of. It's never going to be matched again. So, yeah, I, I, I'd agree. GOAT for, for quarterback. David A. French? Oh, I, I think so. I think so. I, and look, I feel a little weird saying this because I'm on the I'm on the LeBron James as goat island as well as the Tom Brady as goat <laughs> island. And they're, both, and they're both active players, so I know everyone's going to say recency bias, recency bias, um, and they might be right. I mean, but no, I, I am old no, enough not to right. have seen. Yeah. I have seen uh, Jordan. I saw Jordan's whole career, Joe Montana's whole career, sure. um, Peyton Manning's whole career. And I still remember that you can't spell, and this is for the college football listeners, you can't <laughs> spell citrus without UT. And that's Peyton Manning's legacy at the University of Tennessee. But the, uh, the, the reality is at some point, at some point, don't you just say the scoreboard really matters here? We've said this. Before, I think that the quarterback in football is the single most important position in all yeah. of sports. Yeah. And he, he has had, there have been nine Super Bowl trips. There have been six championships. At some point, you just got to say he's the guy. He's the guy. And that's why I say that Belichick is not the GOAT coach because I would like to see him win without Brady and his record without Brady before Brady was 41 and 55. And so that that's, I think Brady's goatness diminishes Belichick's goatness. <laughs> well, so Pandeb, I know that you're an NBA specialist, but do you care to weigh in on this? Uh, yeah, yes, I do. I mean, look, I, I agree with everything that was just said, especially by David. My only, my only Point, uh, point of contention here is that it is so, especially in football, so difficult to pick one goat because at the end of the day, when Tom Brady throws a pass, someone needs to catch it. For Tom Brady to throw that pass, someone needs to block it. For some, for Tom Brady to have people to throw to, have people to block for him, there is a whole system that needs to be in place. Whereas in basketball, you have five guys on the court. They play most of the game. They are they play both sides of the ball. Whereas with football, you know, we're, we're, it's every position so many is so different from each other like what a quarterback does is so different than what a linebacker does that yes tom brady has six rings but those six rings come from you know a a, a whole host of things that have to come together for for those six rings to happen including uh in at least one of those rings uh the referees having to join in with the tuck rule but that's just, that, that's another <laughs> that's another discussion well guys um Let's take maybe five more minutes or so. And um, Vivek, I I had a favorite Super Bowl ad uh, because it related to you. Um, your we whole life, that ad like thirty years ago. Pardon, Viv. We needed that ad about thirty yeah. years ago. It would, it would have helped me a lot more in life. So, so Vivek's last name is Dave. Um, uh, I think Gujaratis would say Dave more, but but Vivek says Dave, <laughs> and it's spelled like Dave. And and he's had to explain his name for years and years. And then there was a Super Bowl ad on Sunday. And and uh, Vivek, would you mind describing it? Yeah, Michael Bublé for for bubbly. <laughs> he he corrects everyone's pronunciation, puts an accent on him, and the store clerk's name is uh, Dave, and he calls him Dave. 
<laughs> immediately, I got about, uh, I was about a minute behind, two minutes behind of the broadcast, and I got about 10 to 12 text messages. I thought I was in a me. commercial. Yeah. yeah, I thought like, oh my God, it, did my face get on a commercial? Because everyone was coming out of the woodwork, and then I, I finally caught up, and I caught it. it. It was a great day for all the all the Doves around the world. We finally got our recognition. It was It was a big moment, and as a Lions fan, it was my greatest Super Bowl moment in my life. So without a doubt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's right. We, we, yeah. Well, well said, Vive. Well, um, before I turn to David and Sopan, um, you and I might be the odd men out, Vivek. Um, are you a Trekker or a Star Wars aficionado? I am not. I apologize. <laughs> Me neither. And I know that I think David and Sopan are, are, serious Star Trek authorities. I know David is bi, so to speak. He's Star Wars as well. Sopan, do you know about Star Wars as well? Or, yeah, or, or... yeah, yeah. I, I know about Star Wars. I mean, I, I, I prefer Trek, but I definitely am well-versed in both. David, do you have a preference? Or do you treat them equally like, 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 like children? You can't choose between them. Well, until the, uh, the atrocity of The Last Jedi, I would have firmly said uh, I was a Star Wars aficionado, but I'm more of a, really more of an equal opportunity geek. Um, you give me faster than light drive and or swords and or dragons, and I'm just there for all of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, give us an ending, uh, you two. Um, uh, uh, Sopan, tell us something about um, tell us something about uh, Star Trek. This is a Q and A. We've had a sports cast, but we can talk about whatever we want. Uh, tell us uh, w- what is good and enduring about it, and why those who love it love it. And before I let you answer, uh, let me do a little name dropping, if you don't sure. mind. Um, I was once in a green room with um, William Shatner, <laughs> and it was many years ago. And I'd just seen a documentary called either Trekkies or Trekkers, I can't remember. And I told him how much I uh, enjoyed it. And and we talked for a bit about Star Trek fandom. And he said, we, meaning the the, the actors, uh, used to go to these conventions and so on. And we thought initially that it was about us. We were the stars and so on. And we soon discovered, no, it's not about us at all. It's about them. We can show up or not. It's about them. And I, I thought that was, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure what he meant, but I thought it was intriguing. I wonder what you make of that. Yeah, you know, that's so interesting. Um, when I was a kid, and we used to have recess in elementary school and middle school, you know, uh, we used to, you know, play on the playground. And, and a group of us, uh, would we used to play, you know, something like superheroes. And, and basically all we do, basically we'd all pretend we were a superhero and, and we'd run around, pretend to fight bad guys and whatever. You know, my friends, they'd be Superman and Batman and Spider-Man. And whenever it came to be my turn, I'd always be someone like Captain Picard or I'd be Captain Kirk. And I think from a young age, I always identified with this notion of, of this group of people that hopped around the galaxy, you know, meeting new people, finding new places to go. Um, you had this idealistic world where money didn't exist and everyone, you know, had what they needed to live. Uh, you know, it, I, you had this new technology. Um, and, and something that's kind of underrated about Star Trek is that all the, except for the most recent um, uh, iteration, all the crews, whether it's on uh, all the crews of the Enterprises, whether it's Spock and Kirk or Picard, 
Picard and Data, and they all liked each other. They all really liked each other. And so it, it showed it was an example of what can be accomplished if a group of people work together to go somewhere new. And that always appealed to me as as a young person. And I think that's also part of the reason why I became interested in becoming a journalist, because this this kind of appetite for discovery. I know that sounds cheesy. No, and, not to me it doesn't. You know, but, but you know what? <laughs> it's true. And so that is what has always appealed to me about Star Trek. This, I mean, it's very... The very tagline of, you know, seeking out new worlds and new civilizations and to boldly go where no man has gone before. I love that. I've always loved that idea of trying to go somewhere where no one has gone with people that you genuinely like being around. And I think that is what has always appealed to me about Star Trek. David, would you please give us a kind of benediction or a coda? <laughs> I, you know, I, I would say this theme and extending it into sort of uh, fic- fantasy or sci-fi fiction more broadly. I love franchises that build rich and interesting worlds. And and one of the things I always appreciated, especially as you know, Star Trek spun into the next generation and Deep Space Nine, and then it kept and and they did a very good job for a very long time of of picking their captains and and their crews. I love the commitment to world building. If I wanted to, you you could eventually learn Romulan history. You could eventually learn Kling, basics of Klingon history. This was a rich world. I love all of uh, many of the franchises that really commit to that. It's one of the reasons why I like Game of Thrones. It's one of the reasons why I've been a Tolkien guy from way back. Uh, and interesting, and, and and it's one of the reasons why I'm souring a bit on Star Wars is that I feel that they've kind of. Um, by obliterating some of the old canon and kind of the, some of the creative decisions of late, I feel like it's less committed to world building and more committed to being sort of Marvel 2.0, which we all know Marvel is inferior to DC. But yeah. the 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 commitment there that Star Trek had to this is a universe uh, with certain rules, a certain view of the future, a certain idea of what the future is going to look like, and really committed to it. I enjoyed the heck out of that. In the same way that I enjoyed the heck out of a very darker, different kind of sci- uh, sci-fi commitment uh, to a story, the uh, reimagined Battlestar Galactica series, which went very deep in its world building and was about as dark as Star Trek is positive. So that's, you know, and I think that that's where you're going to find these communities of fans that build up around these stories because they love to immerse themselves in this world building and it creates a community it creates a group of people that share common interests common knowledge and kind of a special knowledge and a special interest and it it creates a real camaraderie so i think that's what shatner meant is you know these are old friends getting together by the time you know you're at star trek convention number 33 Mm -hmm. these are people who've grown up together and i think that uh, those kinds of communities are are fun and 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 really and and very interesting um and and very uh very fun very interesting and very edifying well god speaking of fun interesting and edifying i have loved this podcast of ours thank you so much i'm jay nordlinger doing q a our sponsor is quip getquip.com slash qa our producer is scott immergut and we've been talking with vivek dave david french and our special guest, Sopan Deb. Thank you all, and until next time.
Ricochet. Join the conversation.